pretty much all my life, things have come to me. They've kind of like fallen in my lap and I just deal with it and, and see how I can make it work. It's not something I set out to do. It's just something that I did. from Southfleet Studios in beautiful, cold Hillsborough, North Carolina. I'm your host, Clint Clintonian-Webb. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the Dom himself, Mr. Dominic Battistella, and, of course, the man on the ones and twos, Mr. Dre Cameron. And this is the Joe Smo Sports Show. We are just regular people that know just enough about sports to have this show. Today, we have two very special guests in the studio. They drove all the way here to be in studio with us today. We have Mr. Stu Todd and the legend herself, Miss. D Todd, how are you guys doing today? We're doing great, thank you. Good, how you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I met Stu at a charity golf tournament at Wakefield in Raleigh a few months back for the DW Foundation out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And we played golf all day together and have been talking ever since. We are in the same profession-ish, and so we have a lot to a lot in common. And he said that we should. Get in touch with his mom, Miss D. Todd, who is, I don't, I, honestly, I don't even know where to start. I mean, obviously, we did our research about you, and so we know some things. So I guess let's start at Winston-Salem State when you were pre-med, before your sports career really um, took off. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. I went to Winston-Salem State. I had been out of, co- I had been out of high school two years. And believe it or not, when I first got out of high school, I used to skate with the Philadelphia Warriors of the old roller derby. I did not know that. <laughs> That's crazy. That and, is amazing. Oh, roller and, derby. Um, wow. They wanted me to, to sign a contract because they were new to Philadelphia. And they wanted me to sign a contract saying that I would, sk- I would stay with them for two years. Well, somewhere in my spirit, I just didn't feel that that, that was going to work out, so I didn't. And so they said, well, we'll keep you, but you'll basically be on the practice team. But I did get to skate. I did what get year to was this? Uh, have the experience. And what, year? what year was this? Hmm? What year was this? This was 1966. Okay. I'm right. telling my age. <laughs> I, I didn't even know they had roller derby back then. That's wow. why I wanted well, to know. Actually, it was, bra- it was new. Roller derby, the Philadelphia team, if I recall correctly, had been in Hawaii. And they moved to Philadelphia. And we had the infamous Joni Weston. And it, it was a lot of fun because I had been skating pretty much all my life. And they came over to the skating rink that I skated at in Camden, New Jersey, which is right across the bridge. And they picked out a bunch of us to come over to Philadelphia, learn how to skate on the bank track. And that was probably the hardest part because it's kind of slopes down and the left side of your body gets built up really fast. (laughs) (laughs) And now, now were you, were you one of the ones that, you know, stood there and like gave people the elbow or were you the one that was trying to get around the track? I was the the jammer trying to get around. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I I probably was 120 pounds, you know, and I could, I was real agile and I could go between your legs and all kinds of stuff on one foot. 
and you know, I just had a good time. I, now, I loved it. Now you did this fresh out of high school, right out of high school. Oh wow! wow. So, yeah. okay. so Goodness. were you involved? In, like, what kind of athletics were you involved in in high school then? Actually, if you know about the law of pre of Title IX, 1972, uh -huh. yep. yeah, we didn't have any organized sports for girls back then. Oh wow! Uh, we had something called Girls AA, meaning Girls Athletic Association. Hmm. And you didn't have coaches. You you might it was like a club, and I'll say, okay, go out there and run down that runway and jump into the pit. That was <laughs> that was pretty much your your coaching. And I did get to participate in the pin relays. No coaching, just gone over and actually won the long jump when I was a, a junior in high school. But oh. I don't consider that anything athletic so oh come I mean, on that's athletic for sure <laughs> I, I just was you know pretty much a natural but we we didn't have sports for girls okay and i had when i went to college we still didn't really have organized sports for girls and i had graduated from college the year they passed title nine which mm. was 1972 mm. and i had just finished college and i started teaching at bethesda chevy chase high school and bethesda north uh Maryland. Mm. Oh shoot, that's where all the uh, all the politicians and yeah. the big exactly. wigs and yep. their kids, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Mm. That was the you... school that all of the politicians, ambassadors, that was like the school. Yeah. And it, it was funny because I'm walking in and everybody's speaking to me and I'm like, I don't have a name tag on. Why, how do they know my name? So we get into the staff meeting and they're introducing new staff and I stand up and I look around like, oh. They knew I was coming. I was the only black face in the yeah, whole building. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh -huh. And my interesting thing about that, I was um, getting ready. I taught biology and physical education. So I was getting my uh, room ready, and these three guys came to the door, and they had suits on and dark glasses. And uh -oh. they said, are you Miss Green? And I said, yes. They said, well, we're United States Secret Service. Oh. And uh, <laughs> we're here to do a background check on you because you're going to have Mary McGovern in your class. And her father was the Democratic candidate for president. Yep. Uh -oh, and I George said, a McGovern, background yep. check. I just got a college. I don't have a background. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that was my introduction to teaching. That's they, fantastic. Did they have to do any interviews with your teammates at the roller derby team? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> they would now. No. Yeah, right? Um, so yeah. what was what was going to be your, before we get into like more sports stuff, what was going to be your focus for pre-med? What was your idea there? My focus of what? I'm sorry. For pre-med. Pre uh, I, I don't know. I don't really, I can't really say. Just sounded like a good idea? Yeah. 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 It just, everything I did kind of just. Fell into place, you know, because I really had no plans on teaching biology. I could tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, they looked at my uh, background and they said, oh, you had a major in biology, too. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to teach it. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so everything just really, really fell into place for me. I've been very lucky. The the reason I ask oh. is because my daughter is about to go to school. She's uh, starting on the 19th to go to UNC Charlotte, which is why I have this hat here, to do medical school, to, to go to medical school. And she wants to be a surgeon and so that was just interesting to me that you did pre-med so i just wanted to ask all right so i feel like there's got to be more between that and chicago sports wise <laughs> so <laughs> and I, I there's got to be i just i just know it so 
because I didn't even know about the roller derby thing. Now I feel like we need more than an hour. Like, is, uh, it real? <laughs> is, is roller derby real? <laughs> it was back then. It was really more of a good sport back then. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, you got thrown over a railing mm, and stuff uh-huh. like that, but it wasn't like the the wrestling where you just stage fights and stuff oh, like okay. that. So, it, it wasn't okay. like that. It was pretty clean. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, you actually have video of that. There's video. Oh <gasps> man, we gotta find oh, this. We gotta find this. I don't, this. I don't oh, know. I, the it's last so time I saw something was on a real derail, uh, and oh, I don't even know where that is. My God. <laughs> but I, but you know, we 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 used to skate afterwards, and you know, you didn't know. It was some times we'll go we'll go skating, you know, mm. just on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there's one time where the roller derby came out. Oh, my mom, she was riding around, and this guy came and hit her one time. Uh-oh. He said, all right, that's one time. And the next time he <laughs> came around, boom. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you don't know who you're messing with. I'm on the floor, and I'm sitting there, and I was like, all right, what am I about to do? And she was like, I don't need no help. Uh, <laughs> obviously <laughs> not. She's proven the that. Derby was, you know, that was long stretch. You know, she just wow. That is, uh, that's pretty amazing. That wow. That's pretty amazing. So, now, real quick, ahead. did you, in... When you were at uh, Winston Salem State, did you? I know you said there weren't any organized athletics, but did you do? Did you do kind of any intramural sports? Did you have any clubs? Was there anything like Believe that? Believe it or not, I was a cheerleader. Oh, okay. And I, right. I had been a cheerleader in high school and junior high school and so forth, and I went out for cheerleading and I became captain. I'm the only person that's ever been a captain for four years. Oh, wow. At, wow. at a school because I, I kind of like, I was a little older. I was two years older. And uh, Big House Gaines, who was was really mm-hmm. one of my oh, wow. mentors. Mm-hmm. And I was on, what do you know, the work study. And he said, well, I tell you what. He said, I'm going to give you work study to be the captain of the cheering squad. And I want you to make sure everything goes okay. Because awesome. you like to run stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pay you to run this. And, that, <laughs> and so I did that for four years. Okay. That's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. So feel free with my next question. Feel free to bridge any gaps, as I said, between what we just started talking about and this. So in 1983... You became the first. Well, you became the track and field coach and cross country coach at Northwestern. It was actually eighty one. Eighty one. So, uh, my apologies. So, I wanted. I got a question about this. What was it like going from an HBCU to a predominantly white university in Chicago or Evansville? Oh, Evanston. Evans, <laughs> yeah, Evansville. Evansville. Well, it, it, you know. When I came out of Winston-Salem State, every job I had was always in predominantly white because Bethesda Chevy Chase, obviously. Mm-hmm. I taught at Ridge Central High School. It was white. Thornridge High School. So that was not any change for me. Oh. What the change was, was trying to get a program that really didn't exist. They had a part-time coach, mm-hmm. and they went, they made it full-time. And the, the part-time coaches, I don't know what he did, but anyway, the challenge was just getting some kids to buy into to the program when you're coming into the Big Ten that Mm -hmm. these schools like Wisconsin and Mm -hmm. Illinois and those schools (laughs) were really established Ohio State you know we came in and and 
everybody was trying to uh, figure out who was going to be ninth in the Big Ten because they mm-hmm. knew Northwestern had tenth. They, you know, <laughs> we, we just take that. We know they're going to be last, right? Well, they were known mostly for their education at the at the time, exactly, and, and, and still are. Recruit a certain type of mm-hmm. student, right? Sure. Yeah, and it was expensive. You know, it was private. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first. I came in in August, so obviously didn't have a chance to recruit. I had some of the worst girls that they had left me with. I, oh, I could have bought my high school team up there. And Goodness. Beat them. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember going to the first indoor Big Ten championship was at Indiana. And they had all of the school's names on the board, and they were putting the scores up as you scored. I just went and took Northwestern off and put it in my purse. That's awesome. Because <laughs> I went by myself. <laughs> and to Goodness. this day, they still talk about me. They said, I've never seen anybody come to a championship without an athlete. Man. I said, I want to see what's going on. I want to see what I need to do. Absolutely. And I'm yeah. an observer, so it's the big nine today. Right, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So that's that's pr- that's pretty amazing. So rewind a little bit before you started coaching at Northwestern. Tell us about the tell us about cornflakes. Okay, well, the cornflakes was right before I went to Northwestern. It was 1980, and I had been doing some print work uh, around Chicago, and I had done some things for Kellogg's. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day my agent called, and they said, look, you know, they want to put you on a cereal box. Well, I'm like, okay. You know, it it wasn't a big deal. I was like, okay, a cereal box. Never, ever did I think that it would be as big as it it became. And I went for the shooting. At that time, they, they still had trouble shooting people of color because they couldn't get the cameras right and, uh-huh. the, and the lighting right. And my first go-round, and I have a picture of that, I was actually gray. Mm. I had a gray T-shirt on and my face was gray. Mm. And, I mean, they really, really worked to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. And, and And food is also very difficult to shoot. And they were keep filling these bowls of cornflakes <laughs> and putting glue, right? Yeah, yeah they were putting the, milk. Uh, <laughs> strawberries on top, and and by the time you go click 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 click, they're they're getting soggy. Yeah. So somebody came up with the bright idea: look, let's put a whole bottle of Elmer's glue in a bowl. Mm-hmm. We're gonna pour some cornflakes over it. We're going to put the, uh, strawberries over, and then we're going to pour shellac over it. <laughs> and that that way we can keep on shooting. So if you can imagine holding this bowl with the spoon in your hand and smiling <laughs> so you're sniffing. And I was like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they hadn't taken oh. the toxins out of the glue at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> goodness so a couple funny things that i want to that i want to say quotes from you about this is my hair never looked like that (laughs) i guess they didn't know how to do black women's hair back then that's true right so this is a direct quote from you that was right and then the other one which i found which i found very 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 funny was when you were approached to do the modeling in general before you got the the box right you said, if it's not running, jumping, or throwing, or hurdling, I don't do it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I said, if it doesn't run, jump, hurdle, or throw, So why did you give in? Why did, why did you decide to do it anyway? Um, well, the, there was a friend of mine. Her and her, her friend, they opened a modeling agency. And one of the ladies 
happened to be the person that introduced Oprah and Stedman oh. on a blind date back okay. in the day. Oh, wow. All right. Um, <laughs> and so she uh, said, look, you're going to model. Look, just send me a picture. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. And she said, no, you're going to do this. And so they kind of called me, and uh, they said, look, we're going to send you Kellogg's. Is, not, was it Kellogg's? McDonald's was looking for um, a new face to do their Christmas uh, gift certificate, you know, where you would pull a gift certificate out of a stocking. Mm -hmm. And they said, that's going to be your job. So you go over here. And I went over, and my partner, who played my husband that morning, giving me, you know, a stocking with the gift certificate, happened to be Steve Williams. Okay. And Steve Williams is the big-time actor. He played on the Blues Brothers and several other Mm -hmm. shows. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, he, and so we, we, he was my uh, partner. And at the end, they said, so what's your hourly fee? You have to fill this out. I'm oh, like, geez. oh, you, I get paid for this? <laughs> and they said, yeah. I said, I had no idea. They said, I'll tell you what, we normally start new models with $75 an hour. But huh? because you're with Steve, we're going to start you at 150 And this was in 1980. 19- no, that was 1978, wow. something like that. Mm, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. And mm. um, I'm like, oh, and so we were there for three hours. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, mm-hmm. and it, with less than 10 days, I'm getting a check. I'm like, yeah, this isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. I can do this. Man, are you kidding yeah. me? No running or jumping involved. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, I said, I, right? I can handle this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was my first job, yeah. Okay, yeah. and so then... The U.S. Olympics. So this well, is this. Hey, oh, Clint, sorry. Real, real quick before we before we get to the Olympics part. Oh no, this I is, wanted this. to I wanted to kind of do a rewind. So you were in college. You you were in the ch- captain the cheerleading squad, and then we kind of fast forward to you're taking over the the track program at Northwestern. How did you develop your coaching skills particularly when it comes to track and field like what you know did you have mentors in that did you were you an assistant coach anywhere how did how did that progress well first of all i've never been an assistant coach (laughs) (laughs) when i came to (laughs) chicago i started teaching at a school called rich central high school and i was the head coach and i am fortunate and blessed to have a person that i called my uncle dr Leroy walker who was considered the famous, most famous track coach ever. He mentored, he did six Olympics. He has a building named after him at North Carolina Central. And I had been around him since I was in college. And he would come everywhere that I worked, Mm -hmm. and he would spend two days with me once a year. I went to every clinic. If it was within 150 miles, I went to every clinic. I tried to learn everything. But I learned so much from him about just how to watch for things, how to break it down to students. And and I just stayed with it. And I coached at Ritz Central. Then I left there and and had Stewart. And then I went to a school called Thornbridge High School. And I coached there for a while. And I was telling someone I coached the only girl that beat Jackie Joyner Uh-oh. in high school. Uh-oh. The only person okay. that beat Jackie Joyner in high school. Wow. Uh, her name was Debbie Zeme. And, and so I, I, that, that was my pride and joy. You didn't say the main thing. Huh? She was a white girl. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she, she was, and, and and that's a story in itself because <laughs> she was a heck of a runner, but she was kind of, I call her cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs oh, sometimes. Oh, yeah, sure. She was just like, you know, so. What race did she beat Jackie in? In the 400 meters. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. And I had just gone to the school, and I found out who had been on the track team, so I called them in one by one, and I said, you know, what, what are your goals? Because that way you know how much you can push them. And she looked at me right in the eye. She said, I want to beat Jackie Joyner. So I had the previous year's state results in front of me, so I looked and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> she was second to her the previous year. My girl was mm. now a senior. Jackie uh, was a junior. Mm. So I didn't, you know, Jackie was everybody's sweetheart, and she's a great athlete, but, you know, nobody... I didn't think about it. I mean, I had known her since 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, but my girl was so good in the 400 Mm -hmm. that in most meets, she was so far ahead of people that she had this tendency of running off the track. She just like wouldn't finish. She just ran off track. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So I said, you know, Debbie, I said, in order for you to get to the state meet, you must finish the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I stuck a shot putter discus thrower in every corner of the track. Uh-huh. And when she turned the corner, they gave her a fish. Uh, that's super <laughs> you come off this track, yeah. you're going to get this fish. I like it. I like it. Uh, that's and funny. And so she ends up winning. We uh-huh. go to the state. It's a two-day meet. They're in different heats. So my girl runs the fastest time ever run in the state of Illinois. Wow. And wow. Jackie runs the second. Wow. So the next day for the finals, my girl's walking in front of me. She's shaking her head and stomping her feet. And I said, Debbie, what's wrong with you? I said, are you nervous? I said, it's okay to be nervous. And uh, she turned and said, Coach, you wouldn't understand. And she walks away. I said, well, try me. And she turned around and she said, do you realize I'm the only white girl in this race? I said, and your point? Yeah. And she said, I told you you wouldn't understand. I said, well, what am I supposed to understand? Yeah. She said, Coach, they're going to all be after me. I said, honey, don't let them catch you. Nope. That's right. <laughs> don't let them catch you. I said, put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> and she came through that line like she was running through her life. I bet. Mm. She broke the state meet again. Wow. Mm. And Jackie was second. And we often laugh about that, you know, because... And and she got a full scholarship to Michigan State, which was kind of unheard of back then. Wow. And, but she never really ran another really good competitive. That's what set. I was wondering. Yeah. Her goal in life was to beat Jackie. She did. Yeah. And, you know. Well, yeah. now she can forever say she beat an Olympic gold medalist. She yeah, could have. So, yeah. She yeah. really could have. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you still keep in touch with her? Oh, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah we're, awesome. we're in touch on Facebook. And oh, wow. actually, we connected probably about four, four or five years ago. Mm. And she lives in Texas. And I remember this summer, I was cleaning out pictures during this pandemic. I was just like trying to get rid of stuff. And I came across a bunch of articles and stuff, and I sent them to her. And mm. she said, I, I didn't have any of this. She said, my kids were like fascinated. Mm-hmm that, oh, Mom, you did all of this, you know, so it, it, it's wow, been that's good. A great story. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're very you're quite accomplished, so I can that can definitely story. that's that's definitely understandable. Yeah, so, so you go from there to did you get hired directly to Northwestern from there? Yes. Okay. I did. Okay. The coach in Illinois, her name was Jessica Dravikovich, and I would do summer camps down there. So I was down there with Jackie. And she said, you know what? She said, Northwestern is going to hire a full-time coach. And she said, I think you would be great at it. 
And I said, oh, really? And I lived in Chicago. Yeah. And I mean, good, I don't have to move and so forth. And I went up and a guy named Ted Leland was the associate athletic director. He went on to be the longtime athletic director at Stanford. Okay. And he hired me, and they had just hired Dennis Green prior to me. And Dennis and I became the only two black head coaches at the same predominantly white Mm -hmm. institution. R.I.P. And we were featured in Ebony. um, So... Since we are kind of on the Olympic side of things, you got approached to do the cereal box because when the U.S. boycotted the 80 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Why did they come to you? Well, as I had said, that I had done some print ads for Kellogg's, and they also knew that I was a track coach. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. And they wanted, they said, okay, we want to put a coach on the box. And I think I was, I shot the box maybe before the boycott. I don't remember the sequence, but I happened to be in the right place at the right time. That's all I could say. And they wanted a coach and they got me. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to put a link to that photo. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I think people are going to want to see that picture. One million percent, especially since the hair comment. (laughs) (laughs) The hair. It looked like it was it drawn in. D- it did indeed. I didn't ever wear my hair like that. Like a, I mean, I it was like 1980s. You were Patty Duke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go to the grocery store. That's you know that was I used to really make big fun of it because when we go to the grocery store, I used to make a big scene about the cornflakes. That is awesome. And so you know, I'll. I'll I guess I remember I'll go down a different aisle and I'll say, "Mom, where are you at? Where are you at?" <laughs> and then she's like, "I'm right here." I'm like, "Where are you?" And then you'll see the call. I said, there you are. Uh, how old were yeah, you, sir? everybody in the store, he's like, mommy, there you are. There you are. And then oh, everybody goodness. Was autographs and stuff. How old were you then? I was what about? Uh, Six? Uh, how old was I? Five? Oh, uh, let's see. I was teaching at Thornridge, so. Might have been six. That's that would have been funny. a great commercial in itself. Oh, oh, heck yes. Yeah, so. yeah somebody that missed an opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> somebody <laughs> missed an opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, so how about how about we'll just go mm. chronologically as best as I can, and please fill in any gaps, or Stu, fill in any gaps, whatever you guys want to do. So from there, in 1985 in June, you were hired for the same job at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of questions there. So what was it like going from the upper Midwest to from Big Ten country to ACC country in the deep south down in Atlanta? So that's question number one. And question number two, why Georgia Tech over Northwestern? Well, Northwestern, only we had gotten a new president, and he was really not an athletic person. And they only wanted me to do distance runners. They only, they did not want a full team. Mm -hmm. And I was a track coach and and I'm really more of a sprint coach. And I ended up being a Big Ten cross country coach of the year because anything that I do, I'm going to try to be the best at it. But that wasn't my passion. And how did the Georgia Tech, oh, I had met the coach, the boys coach at Georgia Tech at a track meet. And I, I said, I had never heard of Georgia Tech. You know, he had these tall guys, the James Purvis and stuff. They mm-hmm. were walking around. I'm like, who are they with this GT on? I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So I went over, and I asked one of the guys, and he said, oh, we're Georgia Tech. I said, well, do you have a women's program? He said, no. 
He said, but I think we're going to start one. So he pointed out the coach, and I went over and talked to him. And I said, look, if I said, you know, I have family in Atlanta. I said, if they ever going to start a, a program, let me know. I gave them my card. Well, fast forward, my mother passed away. She lived in Atlanta. And I said, I'm going to go buy this Georgia Tech. So I pulled out the card, and I found the building. And I made my way into where his office was. Well, when I knocked on the door, he had his middle drawer out, and he's going through the middle drawer like this. And I said, hey, Coach folks, how are you? And he looked up like he saw a ghost. He said, I don't believe it. I was just looking for your car. Oh, wow. And I said, really? He said, yeah, we're going to start that women's program, like, this year. I'm like, really? And it just started there. He introduced me to Dr. Homer Rice, and they brought me back for an interview and offered me the job on the spot. Oh, and wow. I wow. saw it as an opportunity to build a track program. Yeah. They had just built a brand new track, and I said they built it for me. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, Stuart was running in youth sports, and he had won a tree. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we planted that tree mm-hmm. uh, at the track, and you should see it now. It's, like, huge. I go by there wow. every now and then. It's a huge tree. Wow. So that Stuart's tree is on the track. So were there – what were the differences – in the culture of the programs, because it, I mean, you pretty much started both of them. Yeah, I, did. I mean, pretty much. So, what was the difference in the two? Well, the ACC wasn't as competitive as the Big Ten at okay. that time, and I could come in and I I knew that I could get certain groups of kids, and they only gave me a few scholarships. And I would ride around campus and I would look at people like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty nice legs, and she's like, I had this eye for picking talent, mm-hmm. and I would get them out. And it's funny when you tell when people know you believe in them, they will give you their best. Mm-hmm. And for so, sure. I saw that as an opportunity to really get something started. And after two years of the program, I ended up being coach of the year for the ACC. No doubt, I had nine girls. And we came up to Duke for the ACC championship. And I said, look, I said, there's nine of you. I said, you're going to run, jump, hurdle, and throw <laughs> until you can't do it anymore. Right. And, and they were all young. Mm-hmm. And we, we just went in there, and we, we did well enough to finish fourth for the second year of our program. That's and awesome. people were shocked. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, I often think about the poor Duke coach. When I first got to Georgia Tech, he wrote me this wonderful letter. Because before me, he was the, the, the Northwestern of the ACC. Uh-huh, okay. He was always last. And he said, finally, you know, a new program, somebody I could beat. Well, <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> he didn't know what was going on because the first ACC cross-country meet, he had one good girl. Mm-hmm. I had all walk-ons. And you know I beat him by two points. That mm. is awesome. And he was like, he was, he was not happy. Okay, <laughs> well, it's all about getting the most out of your you know, out of your people that you have. And it sounds like that you don't, you didn't only do that at Northwestern Georgia tech, but you've done that throughout your career. So, and that's kind of where I want to start next because coaching at Georgia tech, I assume was the springboard for you in 1988 to start working as the assistant commissioner of the Atlantic coast conference. This is the most intriguing part to me because being around, you know, growing up in Chapel Hill, and being around the ACC culture my entire life, it like 
some of the things that you've done for the ACC, and we'll get into some of this, but it's pretty incredible, and it's pretty, like, it's very, I don't even know if Dre knows this, a program that you started that we'll talk about kind of towards the end, but detrimental to how things are run in the ACC now as far as officiating goes. So, honestly, I just want to hear about your time at the ACC. Say whatever you want. Like, I, I, I'm sure we'll think of questions. Don will think of questions. Dre, like, I just want to hear about it because this is very, very, like, crazy to me. I want to know. Well, first of all, I didn't know much about what a conference office did. I'm a coach. I don't care. You know, just mm-hmm. tell me what I need, what you need from me, and that's it. So we were having the big, the ACC championship was at Duke. The coach at Georgia Tech was not only the coach, but he went to Georgia Tech. He was a city council person. He sold real estate. And so (laughs) because he had been around so long, they were not going to pay me more than him. And he had all these other jobs. Well, I was a recently divorced parent, and I, I needed to make more money. And Homer Rice was really wonderful to me. He said, I'll tell you what, when Buddy retires, I will make you the director of track. You know, he said, you're like a, a professional in a rookie camp. He said, but just <laughs> bear with me. Bear sure. with me. So they gave me a lot of little other side things to kind of make up. So we went to the big ACC championship, and a guy named John LaCrone John LaCrone is now the commissioner of the Horizon Conference. He's okay. been there for a long time. Sure. He was the assistant commissioner at the ACC. And he came over to me. He said, look, I came over from Greensboro just to talk to you. The commissioner wanted to hire two new people and that they had gotten some grant money from the NCAA to broaden conference offices. He said, the commissioner wants the person that's uh, going to do championships to have been a coach. And he sent me over here because he wanted me to tell you that we're interested in you. He said, because the other thing is that what we wanted one of those two positions to be a female. And the other position was compliance, and I didn't want no parts of that. So, uh, he, <laughs> no so joke. He, yeah, so right. he said, no, thank you. Um, you know, we really are interested. We want to bring you in for an interview and he said, if you are a commissioner, you know, this is kind of what you do. And it's an easy move into an athletic director. You will get to see how all schools operate and to to run and organize championships. And 40% of that was women's basketball because that was part of the grant money was to get someone to grow women's basketball. So I came in, had the interview, and I loved Jean Corgan. And I left and went to Eugene, Oregon, because that's where the national track championships were. Mm -hmm. Still are. We didn't have cell phones and things like that. So I said, listen, this is where I'm staying. If you want to get a hold of me, here's the number, blah, blah, blah. So I went to Oregon, came back, never heard from him. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in my office one day, and somebody knocks on the door. They said, you got a call on the line from Gene Corrigan. And I Mm -hmm. said, oh, okay. So... I take the call. He said, hey, Gene Corrigan here. How would you like to come and work with me? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, uh, yeah, you Wait, know, what, what do you say? I, I, I would love to. And yes. then he went on to tell me some details. And he said, you know, we're so glad to have you and blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't know that they had decided to hire me when I left the office. Oh, oh okay. Wow. And they had actually done a press release, and they were waiting on him to, to notify me. 
And other people that had uh, applied for the job had called, and he said, oh, no, we've hired who we want. We've hired <laughs> D. Todd. He didn't tell me. Yeah, right. <laughs> the one who needed to know the most, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's how I got to the ACC. That's yeah. pretty That's pretty incredible. You guys have anything to add to that before? I, I want st- I'm want. i staying in the ACC. I just have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so your role in officiating in the ACC change the game of women's basketball, not just in the ACC, but in the country. And I'm pretty sure I have written down here that you said, and this is going to be, this is going to hit home for Dre and I specifically, Marion Jones changed the game of women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, again, I took on all of these sports. I'm a track coach, but the good thing (laughs) about it was that I had majored in physical education. So I did have knowledge of, of, of all of the sports pretty much. And women's basketball and to build the officiating program was was part of my job. And, of course, I had to learn it. And I did, you know, find people that, you know, helped me and and taught me, you know, what to look for. But I'm basically a manager. I'm not there to tell you you've made the wrong call or anything like that. But I was sitting at a game at North Carolina and the old Carmichael before they renovated it. And I was sitting in the end zone. And Marion Jones was a freshman. Well, I knew who Marion was because she was a track person. Mm -hmm. And they let her come to North Carolina to play basketball because they said, we'll let you run track (laughs) as well. And track is something that, you know, she could take. Well, she wasn't a great basketball player, but she was so fast and so great on defense that nobody could, you know, nobody could get around her. So I'm sitting there, and she's inbounding the ball, mm-hmm. and she beat the ball to the person she was inbounding. I'm like, what the heck? Wow. <laughs> I said, two people can't do this? No. You know, uh-huh. and at that time, they only had two people officiating women's basketball. I'm like, this is impossible. You know, it was a 30-second clock. The kids were getting younger. The officials are getting older, mm-hmm. you know, and the men had 35. And a 35-second clock and three officials. I'm like, this is not right. Yeah, and if you take the way that officials used to look in the 80s and 90s and take the way they look now, they are preparing themselves for athletes like Mary and Jason. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, so anyway, I uh, went back to Corgan. I said, you know, we got to do something. He said, well, why don't you call Pat Wall? who was my counterpart in the SEC, mm-hmm. and see what you can come up with. Well, we decided that we would lead the charge to the the country in terms of going to a three-person officiating crew. Mm-hmm. So at the Women's Final Four, all of the female commissioners of all the conferences, we would meet. We would have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so Pat and I, you know, proposed to go to three-person, and the one commissioner from the, I think it was the Big West Conference, Mm-hmm. And she said, we're going to three-person over my dead body. I said, okay. Well, we went ahead and went with it the next year. And the next year she came back. She said, well, now you're looking at a dead person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, we, just, we just stayed with it. Yeah. And I think pretty much all my life, things have come to me. They've kind of like fallen in my lap. And I just I just deal with it and, and see, mm-hmm. see how I can make it work. And that's just how all of this just came up. It's not something I set out to do. It's just something that I did. So there was one official, woman's official, that 
you had a big impact on that is now that you share a namesake with that is now an NBA official. Is that correct? Yes. She, she was one of the two female NBA officials when they started. D. Cantor and Molly D. Cantor, that's it. Were the two. D is actually from Charlotte. And Dee was on my staff, and she was like 25, 26 years old, right out of college. But she could run like nobody could believe. You know, she ran track. She played field hockey. And I put her on the ACC tournament, and everybody in the country laughed at me. They said, why would you do that? She's too young to be on the ACC. I said, they said, why would you do that? I said, because she's fast. <laughs> we had two person crew there. She's fast. Sure. Yeah. And it ended up being that she ended up being the best in the country. And now, if you see all the big games, Dee's on the games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dee's yeah. on the games. And she just went into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. And of course, I was there. And, and she tells people, she said, Dee gave this D, you know, the yeah. first opportunity. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just something you do. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I had no reason for what I did. It's just it felt right. Mm-hmm. And that's how she ended up being where she is. So you said now there are 13 different people that do your that did do what you used to do for it's the 15, ACC. 15 now. <laughs> okay. Well, and I mean, that's pretty incredible. I mean, obviously Things have grown. There's more people. There's more programs. You know, especially with the ACC expanding. Women's sports is certainly more. Women's sports is definitely more prevalent. I have a question about how did the ACC compare in the officiating aspect and being going to three officials? Like, how did it compare being in the ACC from the inside, looking out? You being the the main person that was the the advocate for the three officials. How did everybody else latch on to that? Like after, of course, the first year or two, how did they latch on to that? Everybody, um, they knew it was the right thing to do. Uh, we had just been dealing with Title IX and gender equity and things like that, so they they bought into it. Okay. It, it was no, it was no problem. So no, no pushback or anything like None that. Not at all. So is there any other like? I mean, there has to be some juicy stories about oh. the ACC. <laughs> so is there any any of them you, that you can? <laughs> or are allowed oh to talk about. It's, I it's mean, so many. Uh, it's so like many anything that sticks I out. Also, started. Uh, so I didn't just do women. I did men and women. Right. And so I also had baseball. And Love I baseball. also started the baseball, the ACC baseball cars program. Mm. Now, baseball is probably the most testosterone-driven sport <laughs> that you ever. More than football. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, and they're all their idiosyncrasies and stuff like that. The baseball players have superstitions and all that. Because I'm a baseball head, so I get it. Yeah, the officials are crazy. The coaches are crazy. They're all. (laughs) They are so characters. Well, if you think about it, officials are more involved in baseball than any other sport out there. Period. Because they're involved in literally every pitch. Yeah. Every pitch. And I, I mean, I have so many baseball stories. Love baseball. And uh, they called me. Boss lady, Miss D, because I wouldn't take any crap off of them. You know. And I'd learned a lot about the officiating, but baseball is probably the hardest sport to officiate because they oh, have yeah. so many situations that you may not see that situation, but once in 10 years. That's what and, people don't appreciate. They got to know it. They have to know it. And so I have a lot of respect for, you know, baseball officials yeah. because they, you know, they... 
Oh. Yeah, I know. They go. <laughs> they put up with a lot. I mean, if you look at the greatest umpire-coach interactions in the history of sports, it's all baseball. Baseball. Yeah. They yeah. are like, absolutely I, – I cannot tell you how many times I had to go to games – just so that I could be there as a peacemaker. I, you know? I, I can understand uh, that. And I would get the three, I would call them a, a-hole officials sure. to do uh, a Florida State and Miami game. Oh, yeah, sure. Because you had to be really strong. I had one that was, they all were good officials, but one was the uh, sheriff for the main prison in Pennsylvania. One was something in Tallahassee, and, and the other one was really kind of low-key, but he didn't take any crap. So I had a really good balance mm-hmm. of three officials. And that's where I went, and I met A-Rod. Oh, jeez. Uh, we, okay. we hung out in the press box and stuff together because mm-hmm. he had given a lot of money to Miami baseball, of course. Sure. Yeah. And so I have got, I got to meet so many really different people and great people well this that is a 100 percent entirely another podcast that mm-hmm. we can do two hours on because yeah. i want to hear about it all yeah. as far as that goes baseball. Yeah. Uh, no just uh, baseball just sports in general yeah. i mean you know that's why we have the show i mean we're all sports geeks yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. so tell me about let's get into a&t okay but before i go to a&t i have a question for you what happened, if you want to and or can talk about, what happened with Central? Oh, good question. Because <laughs> there wasn't a lot online about this. No. So I wanted to know if, that's why I asked if there's anything off topic, I mean, off, off, off limits here. It's not, not a okay. problem whatsoever. First of all, I never wanted to be an athletic director. Sure. Because I think it was the most thankless job in college sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got too many people that determine yep. your destiny that you have no control over. Yep. You know, so I, it wasn't a job that I, I sought out. I got a call one day. I'm sure you guys know Dwayne Bowden. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Dwayne Bowden was on the search committee for an athletic director at, at North Carolina Central. Right. And he and another guy called me and they said, look, you know, we, we want you to come in and just talk to us about the AD job. And I said, eh, what the heck? I, I mean, I called Dr. Walker, and he said, oh, yeah, you, you'd be great, you know, gone in. So I went down to Central, came from Greensboro, went to Central, and I had this thing of saying down. For some reason, I always think Durham is uh, south, but it's actually <laughs> north. Yeah. And believe me, sure. I got on many 85 south uh, thinking so, I was sure. <laughs> somewhere else. But anyway, but I came down, and I talked to them for a while, and I asked some questions. And the the chancellor came in, and he said, you know, we really, really want uh, you to consider being the athletic director. He said, I've read a lot about you. He said, I want to start baseball. I know what your background is, and blah, blah, blah. He said, would you come back and just meet with me? Okay, so I talked to Dr. Walker. I came back. I met with the, with the chancellor at the city club or something in Durham. And, University um, Club, the top of the big yeah, green so glass building. building. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we talked for a while, and he said, look, he said, you are the person that we want to be our athletic director. He said, what's it going to cost us? And I said, oh. <laughs> I said, I really hadn't thought about this. And, $150 uh, an hour was your going yeah, rate from what I remember. <laughs> I, I was thinking what I made at the ACC, which my salary wasn't big, but we had so many other benefits, like they paid they paid for everything. They paid your retirement. You know, they didn't take anything out of your check other than taxes. Yeah. 
And I said, I have to, you know, figure out how to compensate for those things. So I threw a figure out. And he said, yeah, I, I need to take this to our search committee because you didn't apply. And, but I don't think it will be a problem because your name had come up so many times. Well, that was one of the difference, if I would just go back a minute, that was one of the difference between HBCUs and PWIs. Mm-hmm. PWI people, they go to you, they already know who they want. You don't go through applications and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and resumes. Mm-hmm. They come after you because mm-hmm. I learned early on that every good athletic director had a, quote, short list. Mm-hmm. And so if a position comes open... You already kind of know who you'd like to put in that position. Mm-hmm. But HBCUs want you to go through the application process. They got 19 people on a committee that n- most of them don't know a doggone thing about <laughs> what you apply right. for. Sure, of course. Everybody got something to say. And I made it very clear that I was not going to apply. If you want me, you offer me the job, I'll fill out the application for the state right. after. Right. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, yes, he said, I- I'm going to get back to you and so forth. Well, some time elapsed, and I started getting uh, kind of concerned because I had mentioned it to the commissioner, and nobody said anything. So I ca- Ron Penny was the chair, and I mm-hmm. called him, and I said, look, I said, what's going on there? Because we're getting ready to go to Amelia Island, our spring meeting, and, and if I'm going to leave, I need to let the conference know. I want to know. Love Amelia Island, by the way. Huh? I said, I love Amelia Island, by yeah. the way. Yeah. And we went there, and he said, I said, so, he said, look, if you're not going to be our AD, I guess I have to be, you know. He <laughs> said, you're going to be, you know, the AD. So I didn't think anything of it. And then I came back, and some time lapse, and I'm at, at the baseball tournament, and we were in Salem, Virginia. Mm. And I get a call from the then AD at Winston-Salem State. He said, did you know they're going to announce Bill Hayes? to be the athletic director at Central in a, in a few days. I'm like, what? And and then I get another call from Rosenfuse Hall, and she said, look, you know, we had to bring him in. It was a political nomination. Somebody on the board of governors was his friend, mm. and he wanted him to have the job and blah, blah, blah. And nobody there seemed to want to do this. And so that evening, I get a call from the chancellor telling me that he appreciate me and my interest. He said, but we're going to offer this job to to Bill Hayes. And I Mm. said, you know what? I said, the problem with that, first of all, I don't care. (laughs) But the the problem with that is that on April 10th at the City Club in Durham, you offered me that job. Mm -hmm. I said, and this is a tacky way Mm -hmm. of doing things, you know, I was just through with them. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much what happened. I mean, they just they just yeah, went on and gave it to them. That was that that was kind of dirty, sounded a hundred percent political. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, and I definitely hope it was. So then you decided to go to their rival and be their athletic director and first female athletic director as a uh, Aggie. How was that experience? Well, again, it happened very similar, but this time the chancellor called me. The one that just passed away last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, ran it. Yep. He called me at home one morning, and he said, Hey, is this thing? I said, Yeah, he said, this is Chancellor Rennick here. He said, I'm a little disappointed because I see you didn't apply for the athletic director's job. And people had been calling me, so oh, you need to go over there. 
I said, well, it's probably because I'm not interested. (laughs) And he said, look, he said, why don't you just come and talk to me and we'll just act like you're a consultant. And I said, okay, I'll come in and talk to you. And my experience at Central kind of had me a little gun shy. I didn't Mm want to... I don't want to get into that. So I went in, I talked to him probably twice, and he said, you know what? You need to be our athletic director. Mm -hmm. And so I started telling him, I said, well, I've always admired A&T because I could see the growth of the university just by sight, riding down 29 Mm -hmm. and so forth. And I I really think that their athletic program, you know, should be able to match the growth of the university. In addition, I had already worked with the the designers for the track because they had an old, old track, and so they had me as on that committee to help with the design of the track, and not many people know that. And, he, and they were just going to open the track up, I want to think, shortly after that. Mm-hmm. So we talked a minute, and I said, he said, what would it take? So I threw out a price to him and, and thought about it, and he said, well, I'm offering you the job. And I said, send me a contract, which I didn't do <laughs> no doubt. with Central. No doubt, yeah. So he sent me a contract, and the old guy in charge of officials for the ACC named Fred Barakat. Fred Barakat was the men's basketball official guru. He mm-hmm. handled all the officials. Mm-hmm. Well, he taught me so much about the game and officiating and things like that. Mm-hmm. His son-in-law was Don Vaughn, who was a, a state senator and an attorney. Well, Don and I had been on the Parks and Recreation Commission together mm-hmm. in, in Greensboro. When Don left, I was his vice chair, and I became chair, so I knew him real well. He said, D, I'm, I'm looking at this contract, and he said, I'm going to send it down to, to Don because something just doesn't look right to me. Well, I hadn't dealt with any contracts, and right. so... Don called me. He said, uh, you need to come in and see me. He said, because you have no protection in this contract. Mm. So uh, he said, and I wouldn't advise you to sign it. He said, the thing is, I've seen this contract five times, but it's always been after the AD had been fired. Mm -hmm. That's when he saw it. He said, it's the exact same contract. And he said, look, they even have he in there. (laughs) They don't even (laughs) have he in there. (laughs) So I went down, and he called Rennick, and he said, look, she can't come unless we change this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was that North Carolina is the at-will state. So they can give you a contract, but if they decide to fire you, you just fired. You don't have a leg to stand on, Mm -hmm. you know, because of the state law. He said, but... At that time, you need to have five years of working for the state. And when you retire, your health insurance would be paid for for life. And he told Rennick, he said, I want her to guarantee five years. And if she's not the AD, then you need to find a place in the university that is conducive to her educational background Mm -hmm. so that she can get her five years in. Mm -hmm. He said, because I've seen this revolving door with with that. And then he changed a few other things, like I could go and do some things and not have to, you know, pay the university if I go out and make extra money or whatever. Use your likeness. Quote, brand. Right, right. And so I signed it, and it was a good time. Rennick was wonderful to me, and... And I made it very clear. I said, you know, HBCUs have this thing of the presidents want to run athletics. Uh Mm -hmm. So I want to let you know 
that if I'm your athletic director, you have got to let me run athletics. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want me to come over and run the chemistry department because I would <laughs> blow it up. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. So in the same sense, you don't know athletics like right. I know. It, yeah. you know. And he agreed to it. He was fine. Anything I said, he was fine. And then at the end of the year, he came over. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave. He said, I've got a job with the American uh, Council on Education in D.C. as mm. a vice president. Wow. And I was like, what? Because that was one of the questions. Are you going to be here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the AD's position is really dependent on who that president sure, is. Sure, of course, sure. yeah. And it just went down here from there. Yeah. Then we got an interim president. But they kept giving me raises. Right. But That's I got an interim. Thing. And then they, got, they hired another guy. And there was about 12 guys that had this website. And they just did not want a female AD in there. I mean, some things that were said, it was all about my gender. Oh, of course. Yeah. They didn't They didn't want, they would say, well, this is not the ACC. I said, well, you know what? Nobody knows this better than me. Because at the end of the year, the AC is sending millions of dollars out to the yeah, schools. No and we're talking about thousands of dollars here. You know, right. don't, don't tell me that. Mm -hmm. And they were on a mission to get me out of there. So... Speaking of money, you said your biggest obstacle at A&T was the budget. Yeah. So it was, you said normal back in that day, normal schools got seven, a little over $7 million to run their athletic programs. And A&T had six? No, A&T had eight. Eight, okay. And the next school probably had 60. Oh, mm. okay. I mean... And and see, North Carolina has a lot of state schools. Oh, yeah, North for sure. Carolina does not support athletics, so you can't take state money and put it in athletics. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in one AA, most of your budget is made up on student fees. And if your enrollment is down, so is your pie. Of course. Right. You know, and then you have to slice that pie, you know, in so many different directions. And when Rennick was there, you know, Rennick always, you know, made sure you have enough, he used his discretionary funds, but these other two guys didn't know that, and they weren't willing to do it. They didn't care about athletics. It, 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 it ended up being just a real challenging job. I dropped men's tennis. I caught a lot of heat, mm -hmm. but you only needed, I think, 14 sports to be 1AA, and I, 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 we were like two over. And, of course, I can't drop any women's programs because you need the gender equity For Title IX, yeah. And so I looked at men's tennis, and I said, okay, I can do – this is the smallest team that I could drop, but I could take their money and put it into football operations because football had, at that time, I want to say – it was some crazy number, like – Let's say eight thousand dollars was in their recruiting budget. Jeez. Well, you couldn't get out of Guilford County no, no. for eight thousand no, no, dollars. No, no. And, and football is a revenue generating sport. Right, so right. You got to be competitive. But, so yeah. I had I put all the money into football of operations yeah. and stuff uh, to try to raise that up. But and today they have a really good football program. Hmm? Today they have a good football program. Absolutely. So that all started with you, I said. Well, you know, trying to put things in place. Mm -hmm. Their their office was in shambles. I found a guy who played for them who owns some spice company down in South Carolina. He donated money for us to redo the, the football office. 
Mm. Because first impressions, if you bring in a recruit in, you don't want to bring them in and you don't even have drawers in your desk. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Out now, absolutely you know? not. Yeah, you're looking absolutely like not. South Central Louisiana State. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can't. Yeah, you, you can't that do right. that. <laughs> I mean, so you were there for six years, and I know I'm going to screw this quote up, but you said that what you wanted to see when you left Central, I mean, when you left A&T, was a budding, growing sports program. Mm-hmm. So, did you see that? Not when I was there, obviously. It started to grow. We started to do things. But my gender was more the problem than anything. I had yeah. to fight to spend 10 cents. Yeah. There were, I was used to, this is what I put out that I want to use. And I sent it over, and we get it. I had to go through all these people who had no athletic background mm. to decide if you're going to let me have this money. Mm-hmm. And... I wanted to, like with football, play the Florida schools, which every other year they play FAMU and yep. Bethune. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, to put football players on two buses and make them ride to all Florida? the way to Florida, yeah. you know, you that leave your legs on the bus. No doubt. No and doubt. so I would charter a plane. Mm-hmm. And for what we didn't fill it up with, I let alumni buy tickets that would be as if you bought a flight. Right. And, right. of course, they paid for the hotel room. That's really cool. Yeah, with the play. That's yeah. really cool. So it seems it seems like you know th- there just needs to over time be it, you know you you saw there wasn't you you've gone through pretty much everything when it comes to women in athletics. You've seen a you know, situation where there were no women's sports in high school. There were no women's sports in college, and then you get into all right. You're building the first women's programs at these universities, and then you're becoming one of the first women athletic directors mm-hmm. in the country. You know, does it take getting, you know, more women as athletic directors to start getting that respect? Does it have to become normalized? What do you what do you think that the transition point is there? Well, I think that what I see now going on, there are women just getting jobs right and left yeah. in all aspects of athletics. Yeah. And it just puts a smile on my face that, mm-hmm. you know, finally and I'm not saying that that, that women are better, but we have, we look at things at a, at a different perspective. And yeah. to, to see so many women get opportunities just really warms my heart and says, you know, D, you're about 15, 20 years before your time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. You I know? mean, you're, you, you were a trailblazer oh, yeah. in so yeah. many ways. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. I mean, we could sit here and talk to you for hours. Yeah. So, so the question is, you know, being that you're – a trailblazer in 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 so many different ways in in college athletics and in modeling and you know just s- socially in general you know, when did, did did you become aware of your status as an icon I, I don't I guess I still don't Am I? <laughs> yes, yes, we were having this yes, conversation you before are. you got here. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, you know, I appreciate it so much. I guess I just don't look at it like that. I just look at it. I'm just deep. I've got to take some of that one, too. Yeah, let's go, Stu. You know, my, you know I, being around her you for, for all my life, <laughs> you know, you never noticed it, you know, how that so many people had looked up to her. Mm-hmm. And then as I had gotten older... And I come across some of the people that I have met and come like, oh, that's your mother? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, she's an icon, you know, yeah. this and that. And I'm like, you know, yeah, she's mom. You know? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, because to you, that's all she is, yeah. And 
So it's always been me uh, kind of pushing out, telling them, like, look, you know who my mother is? Like, yeah. And I've kind of taken that as a, you know, I'm the Todd's son, but she's, now she says, no, I'm Stuart's Yeah. <laughs> yep, I get um, that. So, but it's just... It's, it's, it's just great to have seen so many people that she has helped. And, you know, to this day, people are starting to help me that she has helped. And, you know, and it's no doubt. like I'm in the refereeing business now. I mean, so I, and that's some of the people that she's helped. They're they're all in my corner now. So it's it's good to see that so many people have she has helped. But, you know, she's so humble that you, you would never. Know. Yeah, I mean, that's that definitely know. comes across for sure. And obviously she had not only a lot to do with how you grew up, but your sports, your love of sports, oh, yeah. because, I mean, you played golf in college. Yeah. Golf, so yeah. and that's how we met. So, yeah, yeah. Well, see, and golf was something that I, it, it wasn't a sport that I came out there to play in college. It was, uh, you know, like she said, HBCUs don't have a lot of money. Right. I was there. Came there to play basketball. First year, I had to sit out because I transferred from a Division three school to a Division two school. So I had to sit out, and so I was kind of just sitting around, didn't really have a you know no sport, no scholarship money. And the coach said, uh, you know, Coach George Pup, you know George Williams said, you know, you know, I I heard you play golf. I said, I'm okay, I'm not, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, the golf coach said, let's go out to the driving range. So I went out to the driving range and I hit like a bucket of balls. And I guess I was hitting them pretty straight at that time. And uh, it's uh, always on the range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scholarship money. And <laughs> okay. Then, and, and then so that was great. And then so I played. And then uh, basketball came next year, and they gave me a little bit of scholarship money. Uh, I ended up breaking my foot. Yeah. Uh, my first year, at breaking my ankle, and had to sit out the rest of the year. So HBCUs, you know, if it's what what can you do for me right now? You know, they don't have the the money to be holding on to give somebody who's not playing. So. You know, but, but golf definitely was great. You know, I had a great career there. I mean, I, I wasn't the best golfer on the team, but my score mattered when we won the conference championship. Hey, mm-hmm. So that's all that matters. Hey, it, that's, it was fun. That's it was all that time. matters, man. And golf is something you can play for your life. entire life, man. My and, uh, dad's a great golfer. It's a lifetime sport. It that's is indeed. Sure. We yeah. I just got Dom into golfing last year. And the first thing <laughs> that – well, hold on. And, and Stuhl Stu will appreciate this, Dom. What do I always tell you? Golf is hard. <laughs> golf is, <laughs> golf golf is, is hard, hard. It makes you mad you it know? really and really really so does being so competitive at it you know myself i'm just being a competitive nature i get you know very upset out yep. there yep. you know it's, it's it's the nature of the game it's fine and for for everybody's knowledge Stu will actually be joining us on the show hopefully more times than not to uh, share his passion about sports and his knowledge and he also has a lot of connections that he is going to bring with him as well so this is going to be this is going to be fun I I got to mention something because I I mentioned it earlier in the show cuz Dre is going to be very interested in this in 1997 so rewind back to when you were still in the ACC offices you started a program called the Neutral Observers Program. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell Dre about that. What, well, is that. what does that do? What, what that was is the NCAA wanted to, to kind of see how officials were doing. So they gave us some grant money to go out and, and hire some of neutral people who would observe officials at games mm. and send them reports. So you kind of had like a... a Fourth eye, yeah. looking at it, they wouldn't, you know, they weren't allowed to evaluate them there at the spot, but they would send me a report, and you could use that to say, okay, somebody is. I always, I always tell people, somebody's always watching you, uh-huh. always watching you. Yeah. 
And so, yes, we started the Neutral Observance Program, and it worked out. They still do it. Yeah, that's how they decide who is able to referee championship games and NCAA tournament that's games hard, yes. and everything. So was were you and the ACC the first conference to start that kind of program? I don't think so because it was a grant from the NCAA. Okay. So all okay. of the major conferences got that grant. Okay. Uh, now, how they chose to use it, the, yeah. the grant money, we chose to use it as getting uh, neutral observers. But I think other conferences were doing that as well. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that was a, a ridiculously good use of said money yeah. because, you know, as all of us are sports fans, we have definitely dabbled in being angry at officials <laughs> from <laughs> time to time. I think I mean, it's my there, second job. There, there's Right? So look, me, being, me being like the biggest basketball fan – like that, I know. I don't think Dre would dis- disagree with no, me there. Um, I I will remember one official for the rest of my life, as far because he was the main <laughs> official that did basketball games when I was growing up, specifically Carolina Duke basketball games. Oh, and boy. Lenny Wirtz will be a name I never forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sit here and tell you, little Lenny. And, and no, and see, this is this is the this is the kind of official. And Dom, you can Google this guy. This is the kind of official that would absolutely never, ever, ever be able to keep up in today's game. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but he was. He always seemed because coming from biased eyes, of course, he always seemed biased, and he was just never my favorite. And so, well, he had he was joined by Dick Paparo. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And now it's uh, Ted Hightower yeah, that uh, has oh. taken his job because he Hightower, is terrible. He started his yeah. stuff when he was dealing with Bobby Knight in Indiana. So <laughs> he's terrible. He is. He, I think, because he could settle Bobby Knight down. He thinks that because I went to Indiana for uh, a game, we had some kind of game, and I was going through a site inspection, and I realized that. The camera did not face the 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 bench, and I'm like, why is not why is the camera facing the other way? They said, do you know who we have for a coach? Oh. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that camera facing Bobby Knight. <laughs> and I got Bobby Knight. No. Oh I have Bobby Knight stories, oh. but I can't tell them on the air. Oh, wow. See that that's for yeah that's for another oh, day. <laughs> My first impression of Bobby was was not a good one. I I didn't know who he was. Is it uh, is it usually a good one with Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> like any impression? I cannot tell you what he did uh, no, on the air. I can't tell you. <laughs> he's retired. He's not coaching anymore. Huh? He's not coaching anymore. So no. you might as well. Uh, I get it. I get it. You want to keep those uh, relationships going? Yeah. Um, so okay, I I had one thing written down that we didn't talk about, but. That was just you saying, you had a quote that's saying high school boys should watch women's college basketball. And I've been telling people this for years mm-hmm. because women are, the college level at least, Fundamental. are so yeah. fundamentally sound. Fundamentally sound. And Gino it's a, are, it's a, below Gino, the, it's a below the written game. Yeah, Gino, know? Pat's, mm-hmm. Pat Summit, I mean, all these all these people can't like t- taught fundamental basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun to watch. Like our, our friends call it YMCA ball. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just it's fundamentally sound. It's easy. It's smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe not fun to watch. I mean, it's Princeton basketball, right? So it may not be like that fun to watch, but it is effective. It is the to me the best tool for fundamentals that you could see. Yeah, they don't play above the rim. That's yeah. probably it. You know, but other than that, it's 
It's a great game for high school guys yep. to look at. And if you have the ability to play above the rim, so be yeah, it. Fine. You know, Good. But to learn the basics and, and fundamentals, you couldn't find a better sport. Well, I mean, and you said you said something that is very, very true at the end of that quote. You said, but they won't see it that way. They yeah. won't. Well, I, I, I was at the, the ACC Women's Championship game last year in Greensboro with Notre Dame and Louisville. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean... It was the best was college game. basketball game mm-hmm. I think I've ever seen. And, and those are two really good programs. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that was what they were number like, two and number yeah. three in the or country four in the country right. at the time. I mean, better than any men's game I've ever seen yeah. in, in NCAA. And I was just I was blown away yeah. by just the skill level yeah. and the technique. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, if these were men playing like this, I mean. These guys would all get drafted. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the the women were athletic, amazing. They weren't taking bad shots. Mm-hmm. They were passing the ball crisply. I mean, it's, it's a different game. Yeah. Completely. Fundamentally yeah. sound. It was great. And, you know, the athletic director at NC State, Boo Corgan, mm-hmm. you know, he was my intern at the AC State. No oh, joke. Wow. <laughs> wow. His That's father awesome. is the one that hired me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so I think I've gotten everything that I wanted to ask because we, I mean, we want to be, we want to be respectful of your time, of course, and we do have one more thing to get to on another podcast. So we're going to do that in a bit. Dom, anything from you? Oh, I'll save it. But, you know, we we just really appreciate you being here for this. This was a great conversation. I know you've got thousands of more stories I'd love to hear. (laughs) Yes. I'm yes, 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 yes. Oh, you are? <laughs> this are is you? awesome. That's great. This is awesome. Oh, and wow. So, Dre, did uh, you have anything that we missed? Anything you want to talk about? You guys covered it all. Okay. All right. <laughs> and this was amazing. Yes, it was amazing. And thank you. And I want to know... You. I want to know when you're going to be in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. So we're going to have to exactly. figure this out because I, mean, I think it's an absolute so shame. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's, it's a shame to, that yes. that that it hasn't been addressed yet for everything that not only you've done for the area, not even being a North Carolinian. Exactly. Well, I think one of the qualifications yes, you okay. have to been here ten years. I've been here twenty something. You've years. been here way, yeah. way, way long. I mean, right now, I mean, geez, you're the you're the head of the track and field program for Wake County and you're retired. Mm-hmm. And so I mean it's you continue to do and do and do for the community and sports and I don't I don't I really don't understand this. We're gonna have to start a petition or yeah, something, exactly. guys. So but if, about that. if there is nothing else, did you want to add anything else, Miss D? Or no, used to I'm just uh, happy and I I'm, I'm here because of my dear son. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. This is my biggest fan here. He is indeed he <laughs> is we have been together, just him and I and and you know, it's just, I'm just so proud of him. Yeah. And he's so much like me in terms of wanting to, to reach out and help people. And, and I get the best compliments on on how he handles himself. Yep. And nothing makes me, that's probably my greatest accomplishment is having this child. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's I mean, great. you guys are both amazing people. You know, I just, just met you today in person. We did have about an hour-long conversation on the phone a few days ago and have only known Stu for a few months. And so hopefully we will be able to continue to grow these relationships, yeah. especially if you come join the family here at Southfleet Studios. So we'll we'll be talking about more about that at a later date. So if there's nothing else, I want to thank you guys so, so very much for taking your time and coming in here. And I guess that'll do it until next week. Um, so see you later.